Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Tis a Tuesday get-together here on Birds 365. I think we've got a pretty good one planned for you. I'm Jody McDonald. He's John McMullen. That makes us Mac and Mac. And that makes us ready to talk birds with you for the next two hours. How are you this morning, Mr. Mac? Uh, doing well, Jody. I want to say uh, Jim Fossil uh, passed away last night. A little disappointed to wake up to that kind of news. But that's one of those underrated coaches. Just wanted to mention him uh, at the start of the program. Uh, you know, it's one of those guys, uh, I think, that gets forgotten. Not a great coach, but a really good coach and you know, out of sight, out of mind, they always say. Uh, so little, little pause uh, and and reflect on him as a coach. But it's always disappointing when you see somebody like that pass away. And uh, I was between my Philadelphia and New York Times. That was a New York period for yours truly. Uh, I went back to work up in New York when Jim Fossil was coaching the Giants and went to a Super Bowl, as a matter of fact, got their tails kicked in that Super Bowl by the uh, Ravens' outstanding defense. Uh, but I was in New York when Jim Fossil was there on the Giants' uh, radio network, which was WFAN. So I did have Fossil on as a guest on uh, a couple of different times, and uh, we went as a station down to cover that Super Bowl, and uh, it was a time when the city was all big blued up. And came back down to earth in the Super Bowl, but Fossil did get him there. And yeah, he was a, a a really good guy, and I think a solid NFL head coach. Not a star NFL head coach. I guess if you make it to a Super Bowl, uh, that gives you some level of gravitas and what you've accomplished in your career. But I always thought uh, Fossil was a good, solid NFL coach. Um, and if the, his death uh, reminds us of the Good times more than the bad times, so be it. And there were some good times for him in his giant coaching career. Yeah, there really was. I mean, I, it was a quarterback's coach, I think, originally under Bill Parcells and then got elevated. Uh, and and he had coached in college, you know, even coached, uh, you know, one of those goofy spring leagues, the UFL, uh, won a championship there. You know, it's interesting. People will, will brush that aside, but I kind of look at it, you know, when you're at a lower level of football and you're able to put together sort of a product that that wins in that environment from scratch, that kind of tells you you know what you're doing, and that that you know kind of describes Jim Foss. I, I I think you're right. You know his son is obviously one of the best special teams coaches in the NFL right now. So um, you know he's been around for a long time, and obviously. Yeah, I think you described it accurately. Just a really, really uh, solid coach. And, uh, you know, when you don't win the Super Bowl, you son- you kind of get forgotten. I was, you know, the first coach I always say, first coach in the NFL, Jody, I ever covered was Dennis Green. He should be in the Hall of Fame. If if he won, uh, what was it, 98, uh, I think the 15-1 and team that uh, lost because of the Gary Anderson perfect Gary Anderson, season. yeah. Uh, goes off the rails in the championship mm-hmm. game. If they finish that thing, he's in the Hall of Fame. I mean, first African-American 
uh, head coach with real success, spawned Tony Dungy, Brian Billick, who went on to win Super Bowls. Those were his coordinators. And they will tell you, Tony Dungy, I've talked to Tony Dungy about this over the years. You know, Denny's a better coach than me. You know, Brian Billick would say Denny's a better coach than me. But if you don't win that Super Bowl, Jody, you're just lost in history, man. And and who was the quarterback of that Viking team that came up uh, just short? 98, that was Randall. Con- you know, interestingly enough, but I say this all the time, Brad Johnson was the quarterback and got hurt, and Randall came in right. and had an MVP mm. season. Now, if people hate me for saying this, but if Brad Johnson was the quarterback for the entire season – that team probably finishes 13 and three, maybe 12 and four, but they win the Super Bowl. Guy just didn't make mistakes. He didn't make mistakes. Um, it's not as spectacular, but they probably get over the hump. And people hate when I say that. Yeah, I would be one of them because it doesn't matter. Brad Johnson, Randall Cunningham, he, neither one of them is Gary Anderson. If the field goal kicker does what the field goal kicker is supposed to do, then they are advancing. They're moving on. Well, yeah, but the context of that game was a lot of missed throws down the field, just missed Randy Moss a couple times down the field. It wouldn't have been close, so the the field goal wouldn't matter um, if those mistakes weren't made earlier in the game. But, again, lost to history. The difference would be uh, Brad Johnson couldn't get it down the field to uh, to Randy Moss the way that that – that was before neck injury, Brad Johnson. He could he couldn't get it down the field like Brad uh, like Randall. Randall's one of the great deep throws of all time. Yeah, but Randy made it easy, man. Randy made it easy. He did make a couple quarterbacks look good during his career. I, I wanted to get your reaction because they had told me they had some serious reaction on the middle yesterday here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel after the column came out uh, by Jeff McClain about the Eagles, and mostly about Fletcher Cox, who's had two straight years where he's come back to the pack a little bit. I wouldn't say that Fletcher had a massive drop-off, but his stats dropped a little bit. And it seemed to me the last two years, certainly last year, uh, there were more boomer bust games with Fletcher, where he was either looking like the all-pro defense tackle he is, or you look up the end of the game and say, do I remember hearing Fletcher name, Fletcher Cox's name called it or during the game? I think there was a little bit of that, um, but McLean wrote an uh, interesting opinion piece about Fletcher Cox and where he is at in his Eagle career, and it got a lot of reaction, at least on the middle yesterday. What was the John McMullen reaction from Jeff McLean's column? Um, uh, mine was more of a, eh, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, how he, uh, I, I was talking to you before the show, he talks to players a lot about potential moves, which I think are, are, and by the way, you brought up a good point. The one he didn't talk to was Carson Wentz, although he did, you know, speak to him afterwards, but I use Julio Jones because he just got traded as an example. Um, you know, when the Eagles were kicking the tires on Julio Jones, he contacted Jalen Rager. It's like, why the hell do you have to contact Jalen Rager? I mean, he's an unproven guy. He had a bad rookie season. You're bringing in a potential Hall of Famer. As I said, if I were a GM, if I were a Mike Tannenbaum or a Howie Roseman, we had Mike on the show yesterday, I'm not worried about Jalen Rager's feelings. Now, Fletcher Cox, I'm worried about his feelings. 
So it, it, it matters, and, and I think communication is good. The question is, is he making decisions based on Fletcher's opinions? I don't think he is. That's just my personal opinion. However, I, I will say I think you're right on what you said about Fletcher Cox. He's still a really good player. You, you talk to his peers. People look at stats, man. Defensive linemen, they look at sacks. They've been saying it for Brandon Graham, you know, nine and a half sacks. He's got to get 15 sacks. No, he's just a really good player. The Eagles under Jim Swartz used a, a really disciplined pass rush. The goal was to keep your lanes. It wasn't to be hero football. The best best example of a guy, you know, going off scheme probably in Philadelphia in recent years that people might remember is Jason Babin. Oh, yeah. Who would put up those huge sack numbers and everybody's like, Jason Babbitt, Jason Babbitt. Jason Babbitt can't hold Brandon Graham's you-know-what. But they saw the 16, 17, whatever it was, sacks, and they went, wow. But he's doing it outside the scheme. He's making mistakes. He's being undisciplined. You know, Fletcher gets double teamed a ton. You talk to his peers. Look, Aaron Donald's by himself. We all know that. Then you talk about number two. Fletcher's in that conversation. He's still in that conversation. Now, what? how much is he going to remain in that conversation? He's post-30 now. Um, as he likes to say, he's not in his 30s, which was a, a funny line that Jeff pointed out in this piece because he just turned 30. So he's not in his 30s. He's just 30. But you get the point of, you know, when it does happen, it tends to happen pretty quickly. But I don't look at Fletcher Cox's stats and say he doesn't get uh, sacks and he's not a good player. He's a really good player. He is the best football player, the best overall player on the Philadelphia Eagles. And he has been for a, a pretty long time. It's so funny that you bring up the name Jason Babin. Um, you're a reporter. I'm not. I'm just a talk show host. Um, but I happen to be doing a charity thing in season when Babman was having one of his big stat years here in Philadelphia. And I happened to be sitting on a dais with a Philadelphia Eagle player. And we were just shooting the breeze back and forth. Good guy. He'll go nameless here. Um, but a good dude uh, who I had a good relationship with from there on out. And uh, we're talking about Babman. I see he's getting the sacks. He had a great line. He said, yeah, but he gave me a high five one time as I was standing on the sidelines when he was making his way to the quarterback, meaning talk about wide nine. He was wide 463. He would split out so far and be so far out of position. That, yeah, if the quarterback held the ball too long, he'd get there and he'd be able to pull him down because he was coming from so far out. But if he stepped up into the pocket or they ran any kind of a draw play, he would be so far out of position, it would be ridiculous. But that was Jason Babin. They, and they factored that in. I think his teammates were supposed to cover for him. They were willing to give up him being out of position for those however many sacks he was going to get as long as it was double digits. If he was putting up Brandon Graham numbers playing the way he played, he'd be out of the league. He'd be off the team. But because that's the way they schemed it at that time, they were okay with it. And he did get a bunch of sacks. So uh, that's funny that you reminded me of Jason Babin giving a high five to a teammate on the sidelines as he went way wide to get the pass rush. Yeah, right. Uh, but by the way, I don't want to – it's still not easy. I mean, Jason was a good pass rusher. point I'm trying to make is he's not an all-around player. So it's not necessarily helping you win games. And that was a weird time. 
in Eagles defense. Jim Washburn kind of went off the reservation, did what he wanted to do up front. The back seven was on a different page. It was really a mess. And you think about Andy Reid being the head coach, it was probably one of the on-field low points of, of this organization because he didn't have his coaching staff on the same page, which is kind of unbelievable and tells you probably a bigger moral of the story is everybody's got a shelf life. Everybody's got yep. problems. Even a first you know, ballot Hall of Fame coach like Andy Reid, it's not all peaches and cream. Everybody gets issues. Everybody has problems. But, yeah, I mean, getting back to the original question of Fletcher Cox, best football player on the Philadelphia Eagles, period. End of sentence. Still is, and Still is. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna make an effort to get Jeff McLean on at some point uh, this week. Uh, we are gonna have a Jeff Eagle reporter on today. That will be Jeff Mosher. He's gonna join us uh, in hour number two. We're gonna have a uh, fame of the show. Our buddy Rick Saratella from the NFL Draft Bible put up his first mock draft on Sports Illustrated. He like Johnny Mack here. Uh, also does work for Sports Illustrated, and I saw his tweet yesterday, which, by the way, thank you for the tweet. Johnny Mack sent me a tweet specifically yesterday when Jacoby Stevens signed, just <laughs> to let me know. The Eagles are now down to only one draft pick not signed. That would be Landon Dickerson, and I still have some concerns that there are some issues there. Will it get all the way to a camp mm-hmm. holdout? Yeah, probably no, not. No. I, I wouldn't bet on that, but I think there is some interest to the fact that he is the last one to sign. Usually it's either a sixth or seventh round guy. That doesn't matter. If he's if if his agent is squabbling over five thousand dollars, you go, you okay, sit home. And he's gonna come crawling back and it's slotted, and you know what it's gonna be. Or the first round pick, which depending quarterback and position and the like, sometimes that can get a little uh, testy and the team can dig in its heels and the player can think they have to get every pennant they, they can possibly get. Second round guy, offensive lineman guy, not a skill position guy. It does just still give me some pause. I know I'm probably just a nervous Nelly for <laughs> no reason whatsoever, yeah. but I am still, uh, it, it, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Let's put it that way. Well, it doesn't stick out to me. I mean, my my speculation originally when they didn't announce him with the first group was with Devontae Smith was in the first group was the injuries. And it's going to be a little bit more difficult because they're probably haggling over offset money. Then I went and looked at, okay, who's Landon's agent? It's Pat Dye, who's a veteran, veteran agent, knows what to do. Then you kind of look at what you have no knowledge of. <clears throat> What's Landon's, you know, personal life like? Uh, does he need the money right away? Does he need the signing bonus? Can he afford to haggle? Can he afford to wait? Look, my guess is that Pat Dye says, you know what? Uh, let's let's wait it out. Let's see what happens. Uh, the Eagles are probably fighting for this offset language because of the injuries. Uh, and Pat's saying. Eh, it's not going to matter anyway, but we have time. Let's take the time. Let's see what they do. That's ultimately going to be here for training camp. So uh, when it happens, not that important. Why it happens, again, offset language, timing of, of bonus payments. That's it. Right. But And you rightfully pointed out to me yesterday that when was the last time a second-round draft pick held out into training camp 
and it became an issue once the team had already gotten together and you couldn't remember one off the top of your head, nor could I. So it's a very good point you made. But my counterpoint would be, when was the last time a second-round pick was the last player signed, an offensive lineman no less, was the last player signed by an NFL team? Almost always the last pick is either the first pick and or an obligatory sixth or seventh round in a draft where the team has six, seven, eight, nine picks, and it's a guy who's just being obnoxious about it with an agent who thinks he's going to pull out an extra $2,000 to a signing bonus. doesn't usually happen that way either, that a second-round pick is the one that holds out. And there's a reason that there's a significance here. A whole bunch of these Eagle picks will not even factor into their cap this year. It's the top 51 salaries that you use in determining whether the team is compliant with the cap and its number. And a whole bunch of the Eagle players are signing uh, just about the league minimum, slightly above how much is guaranteed, all that stuff. But if they're not in the top 51 on the Eagle roster, it's irrelevant. You can give them whatever you want, as a matter of fact. They, they got to have to make that top 51. Uh, Dickerson is one of those guys, if you go by the slotted numbers that guys get for where they're drafted. He will be one of the Eagles' top 51, so they still need to factor that in. Yeah, and they had the space for that. They had the space for that once June 1st hit, and that's why they were waiting for June 1st. Um, the only three that count in the offseason are Devontae Smith, Landon Dickerson, Milton Williams. Eagles have, I'm just looking it up right now, from the NFLPA, Eagles have $8.266 million in salary cap space. They have plenty of space for Landon Dickerson. That's not the issue. Um, the issue is, as I said, the issue is offset language, most likely. And I'm speculating here. Uh, or, or, or the timing of the signing bonus. That could potentially be a hiccup. And you have a veteran agent. You don't have a guy who's going to go, oh, okay, uh, we'll, we'll take whatever you want, Howie. You know, Pat knows what he's doing. Pat's been doing this for a long time. So, if he sees something he doesn't like, he'll take some time. There's no hurry. Um, off-season work is done for the Eagles, essentially the on-field portion of it. Uh, they don't have to be back until July 27th. If, if, if Landon Dickerson isn't on the field July 27th, well, actually they have this ramp up here, but you get my point. If he's not at the Novacare Complex on July 27th, I will be – the most surprised person in the world. Okay. Um, I'm glad to hear your confidence level. I'm a little bit more nervous than you are, but that's okay. Uh, when I saw Rick Saratella, our buddy from NFL Draft Bible, put out a tweet yesterday uh, that contained a link to his Sports Illustrated first 2022 mock draft, and I uh, reached out to you and said, hey, how about we get Saratella on tomorrow? And you said, that'll be a good idea. Um, and Rick is going to join us coming up in uh, about five or six minutes from now. Um, did you go to the link to see who he had factored in as the Eagles' first pick of the draft, uh, or not the first pick of the draft, but the Eagles' first pick of the draft? And did you speculate in your own mind what position that player would be before you uh, clicked on the link? I did click on the link. I did. First of all, I think Rick had all three picks. I think he, yes. he forecasted. Uh, so Carson Wentz, the pick would turn into a first round pick. I like the thought process of, of the positions. He went court, quarterback. I think he went uh, edge rusher and cornerback. So it all makes sense. 
from that perspective, that's what the Eagles are most likely going to need. I've been saying this from day one, Jody. When these mock drafts come out, and obviously they are what they are this early in the process, right. everybody has the Eagles taking a quarterback of the first round. Everybody. Everybody. And I, I turn this over to the lack of respect on the six-and-a-half wins, and everybody's saying the Eagles are going to be awful, and the power rankings are 27 and 28 and maybe 26. Maybe if you've really got an optimistic guy, he's got him at 25. It's all because of the head coach and the quarterback. Nobody believes in this quarterback, and everybody kills me for it, Jody. Why aren't they killing these people? They're the ones who don't believe in him. Because right now when you look at his team, it's the same thing I told you yesterday. Cornerback is a bigger problem than quarterback. I don't think it is. Judging by, everybody, judging by everybody, I saw the poll Jacob Media point out. I knew I'd lose that poll. But, but, but so you my, just by the way, you're just dismissing that, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, people can think whatever they want to think. My point is. Everybody with the Eagles' top pick has them taking a quarterback. So how could quarterback be less of a problem than quarterback? I mean, I, I have more confidence, and people think I can't stand Jalen Hurts, which is not true. I have more confidence in him than this league as a whole who thinks he can't play, period. You might be right there, but uh, I am, I'm not writing off the quarterback. Of I the wouldn't write him off. Sure. I'm yet. not writing him off. I think he's got it. His work ethic is so good. His intangibles are so good. I think there's a chance he could develop into a legitimate starting quarterback in this league. But nobody around the league from a national perspective believes that. Well, one of those individuals who has come out with his first 2022 mock draft uh, and is a good friend of the show, good friend of mine, and very good at what he does, is going to join us next. Rick Saratella, NFL Draft Bible and SI. Going to hop aboard, Bird 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. 
IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. McMullen and McDonald, your Mac and Mac host here on Birds 365. Hey, doing, Bird Nation? Uh, you should have some fun over the next couple of minutes with our next guest. Uh, you should recognize the face. He's been on with us before. We had him on before the draft, after the draft. And now it's time to start talking draft again. Rick Saratella of NFL Draft Bible and Sports Illustrated. Uh, Rick, how did you how'd you enjoy your five days off after the <laughs> NFL draft? You know, hey, I... Uh... I got a little walk on the beach this morning, so I'm fresh off the beaches of the Jersey Shore, rejuvenated with the 2022 mock draft. But, yeah, it's just a, a carryover at this point. We just turn the page and keep it moving. Well, I'm glad you got a walk in, Rick. Uh, what shore are you at, by the way? I'm down, down here. Down. Yeah, good old, uh, you know, Lavalette, New Jersey, exit all 82 right. for all my Parkway folks. So right in between uh, Eagles territory and, and Giants territory, I get the best or the worst of both worlds, I guess. Straddling the line. Yeah, I, I love it. Love the Parkway exit. True Jersey guy, Rick Saratella. <laughs> I well, do, hey. I, yeah, yeah, I, I, I want to start, Rick, with quarterbacks you know everybody was talking about the the lead up to the 2021 process and this this group was so much better than the 2022 group and I open up your mock draft and sure enough quarterbacks 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 they always always get pushed up the board yeah I mean listen it's the common denominator around the league right if you look at the teams who are in the playoffs usually they they've got a good quarterback and I think it oftentimes dictates success and you know I, I don't think it's because the quarterback classes are suddenly so great that we see these uh, enormous amount of quarterbacks being taken in the first round I think it's a byproduct when you look around the league you see a lot of younger faces in the front offices at GM positions at the head coach level uh, and I think the younger guys we've seen are, are more willing to wheel and deal you've seen a lot more trades at the trade deadline in the offseason during the draft. And I also think that, you know, society, sports as a whole, we've got a short patience. Uh, you know, they're very quick to move on these days. And the, yeah. the latest CBA agreement made it possible so that 
if you drafted in years past at Jamarcus Russell, Sam Bradford, you were anchored for five years. Now you can move on next year, no problem. Yeah, it is a uh, what have you done for me lately league. All right. Uh, part of what a mock draft is all about is projection. Uh, basically, all of it is what it's all about is projection. Not only how good the players are going to be, but at this stage, you also have to try and figure out where the team is going to finish in the standings because you're going to attach a player to a team. You had the Philadelphia Eagles drafting fourth. So that's good news, Eagle fans, because Rick thinks there are three teams worse than the Eagles in the <laughs> NFL this year. Yeah, all right, Rick, thanks for that. Um, <laughs> do us a favor. Uh, give us the top four picks, and then we'll go from there. Uh, with the Eagles being the fourth team selected, tell us who you've got drafting one, two, three, and who they're taking that the Eagles don't have shot at if they are picking fourth. Yeah, thanks for throwing me to the Sharks there, Jody. Uh, so, yeah, I do I do have the Eagles picking fourth. And, you know, I will say this. I, I, do, I, I was listening to the earlier segment, and I agree. I do think Jalen Hurts could be a successful quarterback. I just don't think his time is now. I saw flashes last year. I saw <laughs> glimpses and pieces. I think my biggest concern is you've got a guy who's predicated on RPOs but has no time to throw. So a lot of times it becomes a moving pocket, him throwing on the run, bad throws mixed with good throws. And I just don't have a lot of confidence in that Eagles offensive line. And I think he's going to be under duress. I think there's a lot of aging parts up front on both sides i look at the secondary not thrilled about that so you know i look around the nfc east too i think washington got better the giants got better uh washington upgraded their quarterback dallas i think is looking to rebound with the healthy dak and ezekiel elliott so you know they're up against it and, and so that's the logic there uh the useless texans i believe i have number one and <laughs> you know listen i think uh, Deshaun Watson may have played his last game for the Texans. It's, it's, it appears that way anyway. And I think Lincoln Riley, what he's done at Oklahoma, he knows how to pick them now. Uh, we saw what Hurts did in that offense. It kind of catapulted his draft stock. You saw Baker Mayfield and uh, Kyler Murray run that uh, offense efficiently, win the Heisman Trophy, go on to become the number one pick. So I think Spencer Rattler – has the perfect storm and he is actually, I think, according to Vegas, the odds on favorite, not only to be the Heisman, but I do think <laughs> the number one pick. So Rattler to the Texans, we had uh, Sam Howell, the North Carolina quarterback who actually reminds a lot of folks of Baker Mayfield going number two to Detroit. I think Detroit's in a rebuilding program and has a lot of work to be done. Jared Goff's the perfect stopgap guy they can put some pieces around him let him absorb all the hits this year go find themselves a quarterback and Mac Brown the coach at UNC has already been on record saying hey we don't expect Sam Howell back for another season so he's all but done and then number three it's got to be the New York Jets <laughs> so Kayvon Thibodeau uh, they're probably the best overall player from Oregon I had a chance to see him up close two years ago as a freshman and he looked like a man amongst boys then uh, you talk about a 43 hand in the dirt defensive end who could be in contention if the Eagles don't go uh, quarterback and are picking high, but that is how we see it. And it's a, a lot to be uh, happening and transpiring here between now and April, but yeah. hey, we got to begin somewhere. Right, well, begin whoa, whoa, somewhere. whoa, 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 whoa. You gave us the three before. Now you got to actually kind of tell us who you got going to the Eagles because there's uh, something to be said here. For taking yeah. a guy from not a major program 
with the first name Carson. Are you really going there? We're Sarah Tell that's what you got the Eagles doing in yeah, number four. Well, <laughs> I, I luckily he'll remind you of Carson Palmer and not Carson Wentz. Okay. And so, you know, my my thing is too, guys, you talk about a 17th game. <clears throat> uh Sports Business Journal, who who is pretty knowledgeable with the TV networks, said that by 2025, there will be an 18th game. Wow. And I look around the league and I see guys. We mentioned Kyler Murray. We saw Russell Wilson and even Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl when they got hurt and their mobility was limited and they were forced to be pocket passing quarterbacks. Didn't work out so well. And so with the added games, I feel like the league is trending more towards you're going to have to have two quarterbacks especially with the mobile athletic types that like to run around you know it's funny i saw a mainstream media outlet the other day put out a top quarterback ranking list tom brady was number six and we'll and we'll just leave them uh, nameless but to me i still believe there's a home and, and a, a lot of scouts in the league will say hey well they're ancient dinosaurs the tom brady the joe flacco's types but Car the, you know this carson uh <laughs> Carson Strong, Carson Strong. Carson Nevada. Strong, uh, he's got a strong arm. He can. Yeah. He's a pocket passing quarterback, and I think you know if he if he replicates what he did a season ago, teams aren't going to be able to deny that kind of talent. And he's on the West Coast. He's on the, a, a, a lot of late night uh, TV, so folks don't really see him a whole heck of a lot. But you know that's just my theory on the pocket passing quarterback. They're being pushed out of the NFL, but. You know, last time I checked, the Eagles won with the pocket passer. The Bucks won with the pocket passer. It still works. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what, Rick. If, if Carson Strong is as mechanically, uh, fundamentally sound as Carson Palmer, I'll take that, man. I Quarterbacks coach and this John DiPolippo told me Carson Palmer is the template. When you look at footwork, mechanics, look at that guy from, from rep to rep. And I see young coaches. I'm going to pick up Jalen Hurts again, man. From rep to rep in practice, the footwork, the mechanics, kind of all over the place. I think that's one of the issues um, NFL coaches are struggling with 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 some of these young quarterbacks. But I will say, I love your thinking. I mean, if the Eagles are picking fourth in the draft, they're taking a quarterback. Period. That means they had an unsuccessful season. So. Either they get Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, or they're taking a quarterback at number four. I love the thought process. Yeah, and it goes back to the common den de denominator factor, right? Uh, you look at the teams year after year. I look at the, all the teams with the top picks in the draft. There's your reason why the quarterbacks are coming yeah. off the board. They don't got one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah that kind of lends itself to, and now we got to be very careful because it's 17 games. Four, 12, and one, or four and 13. You got to get those numbers right now because it's 17. Yeah. We haven't been doing it this way for very long. Yeah. Um, let's hope the Eagles are better than that. All right. Uh, you, uh, Carson Strong, strong arm quarterback, pocket quarterback. Was part of your thinking that Nick Sirianni is now the head coach and Sirianni had stay at home quarterbacks his couple years in Indianapolis, starting with luck. Brissett could make some plays out of the pocket and from the next level, uh, but certainly this past year with Phillip Rivers, uh, at this stage of his career, he was certainly only a pocket quarterback. Is that part of why you had uh, Carson Strong ending up as an eagle at pick number four? Yeah, I think part of it was the fit, and, and it goes along the lines of what Sirianni is looking to do. And honestly, at the end of the day, I think the whole Jalen Hurts experiment 
is exactly that. Like, hey, let's cook something up in the laboratory, see if we can develop an offense around this guy. If it works, hey, we might have struck gold here with a second-round pick. If not, again, the salary isn't going to restrict them from moving on, turning the page, finding that next potential franchise signal caller. And, you know, uh, they do have, I believe they brought in Joe Flacco, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, as, a, yeah. as a backup. And I'll be honest with you guys. Uh, unfortunately, I watched every single Jets game last year. And the best quarterback <laughs> I saw was Joe Flacco. I mean, he really got that offense moving. So I think you talk about a contingency plan, you know, with the neck, can he can he start long spurts? Probably not. But hey, when when Wentz went down, Foles came in. They rode that magic carpet ride. I don't think that's a scenario that's too far fetched down the road as they get down in the season. Well, I can tell you one thing about Joe Flacco, Rick. He can still throw it, man. You know, you've been at many practices. When that ball comes out of somebody's hand, he's got a live arm. You hear that noise. You still hear that noise with Joe Flacco. And you're concerned about some of the receivers and dislocated fingers. <laughs> he, he can still throw it. Uh, but uh, when you talk about your top 10, I think you have four, is it four or five quarterbacks? I, I, I wanted to talk to you about specifically strong, uh, as you mentioned, plays at Nevada, not the most high profile school, but also Malik Willis, because uh, he's playing at Liberty. Now, obviously, he's a transfer, but. Uh, how much more difficult that does that make it in the evaluation project uh, process? Because obviously it's not Alabama. It's not Oklahoma. It's not Clemson. Well, yeah. I mean, listen, Mac Jones was a hard evaluation and he did play at Alabama. So, I mean, the quarterback is so tough. There's a reason why it's the biggest miss rate in the first round. And it's (laughs) it's a tough position to evaluate overall just because of, I hate to say it, the simplicity of the collegiate offenses. And, and you've seen that trickle into the NFL now, but you don't really know until you sit down. And I think the quarterback position, these guys are all talented. It's really evaluating the person, the maturity, the ability to learn, the leadership, the intangibles, the off the field. Now, Carson Strong has a couple of collarbone issues from his high school days, early Nevada days that might, you know, give NFL teams a little bit leeriness, depending on how that checks out. I, that's the information we're not privy to. And so I think a lot of it is the character, the DNA, the Ryan Leafs of the world, the Jeff Georges of the world. There's no doubt they could sling it. It was between the ears, the JP Losemans, you know, coming from a two lane, you say, wow, this guy's got a cannon of an arm. But then you get in, and, and I remember, you know, million-dollar arm, two-cent head from our NFL Draft Bible publication. So, you know, going back to Malik Willis, though, you, you do see the body of work where they played Coastal Carolina, a ranked opponent. I think they have a couple of P5 teams on the schedule this year, and that's really where he'll be under the microscope. How did he perform against the top competition? But when you, when you watch this guy and what he does, strong arm, uh, cool as a cucumber ability to extend plays in the pocket uh everything is all there and you talk about a guy like trey lance the way he catapulted to the top of the draft i i don't know i like what i see a little bit more i i believe the ceiling is higher for malik willis than it is a trey lance wow if if the prediction is correct and ricky i know it's unfair to even hold you to this uh we're just having fun with you if he is the selection at number four or five wherever he is if the eagles take him 
I think it's mandatory that he has to wear Carson Wentz's old number because there may be some people out there with a jersey that says uh, Carson number and strong across the top, which means it would fit, or Carson across the top, which means it could, should fit. So that's my only uh, requirement prerequisite that he's got to wear Carson Wentz's number when he comes here to Philadelphia. All right, so you got him going quarterback at number four, and you have him selecting again at number 16, and you're suggesting that would be the – Dolphins pick the trade they made when they traded back and then traded back up and got uh, Devonta Smith, but they acquired the Dolphins first round pick. You got them slotted in right in the middle at number 16. And after drifting a quarterback with their first pick, you got them going back over to the defensive side for their next pick. Yeah. Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan, uh, the defensive end. We talked about some of that age up front and Brandon Graham, I believe will be 34 years old. Uh, Ryan Kerrigan, which I really like that pickup there, uh, was a one-year rental, so we don't know if he'll be back next year. Uh, I think there's a couple other uh, free agents or two along that defensive line. So to me, Aiden Hutchinson is a guy from Michigan uh, that can come in and play with his hand in the dirt or stand up, but I think he would fit in uh, with the Eagles with the hand in the dirt, come off the edge, ability to get after the quarterback, and inject some youth into the defensive line, right? I mean, we need to kind of – get some younger bodies both on the offensive and defensive line and, and kind of, you know, going back to the Jalen Hurts experiment, it's like, hey, why not see what we have? Give us a season to evaluate in-house. I don't yeah. think the front office is thinking we're getting primed up for a Super Bowl run here. I think it's kind of a rebuild year. Let's evaluate in-house, figure out what kind of pieces we have, and then go get after it with three first-round picks. That's very enticing. All right, let me, uh, John, I'll let you get in here in a second, but I, just, I have to ask this question. Um, Hutchinson, defensive end, Michigan, middle of the first round. I'm going to ask you to do the project game again four years from now, five years from now, six years from now. Who's a better pass rusher coming out of U of M, Hutchinson or Quiddy Pay? Because my partner was a big Quiddy Pay fan. He was trying to get the Eagles to draft Quiddy Pay. I actually thought Quiddy Pay was a little overrated in the draft. So I'm hoping you're going to tell me you think Hutchinson projects as a better defensive end than Quiddy Pay, the guy that McMullen desperately wanted the Eagles to take. I think if you're asking me today, it's easier to say Quiddy Pay because oh. he's just more polished. I think he's more ready to step in and compete. But if you're asking me in April, after I have a whole nother season to see how much he's developed and progressed because players do improve. Uh, their final season in college football. There's a, I think the ceiling is greater. So I think okay. you come, come talk to me in March. It might be a different answer. But if I was building a team today, I'd probably say Quiddy Pay, who I believe really found himself in an ideal situation. I think about what Justin Houston was able to do at the tail end of his career in that defensive scheme a year ago on a 2025 rep count. I could see Quiddy Pay filling a similar role. And being in contention for that uh, NFL Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah, again, Rick, I like the fit at 16. I, I like your thinking, and I think it it really clarifies how the draft is about more than one year. Because as you mentioned, Brandon Graham's still here, but he's going to be 34. Derek Barnett's going to be a free agent. He's on a contract year. Josh Sweat's on a contract year. Ryan Kerrigan's on a prove-it deal. So what looks like a strength today it's probably going to be a significant need next April, but the biggest need in Philadelphia is pretty obvious. And that's your third first round pick 
the cornerback position. Right now, it's Darius Slay and who? Right now. Rick Caratella. I think Rick is CB2 for the Eagles right yeah. now. Yeah, I'm ready. I got I got 13 reps in the body. Uh, you know, listen, and to your previous point, John, it, it, it's so true because the best teams are masterful at parting with the player a year too early than a year too late. But in order to do that, you've got to be able to project and see the upcoming free agency class. Say, hey, I've got to have this guy in tow so that, you know, we can do that and part ways a year too early. So, uh, yeah, cornerback, I mean, it, it it was cringeworthy, right, watching Avante Maddox operate on the outside. Ooh. Good player, feisty, yeah. feisty kid. Don't get me wrong. But, I mean, he really shouldn't be playing on the boundary. I think they lack size. I think they lack depth. I didn't really see too much that really addressed that area of need. And in a, in a, in a league where they pass the ball 70% of the time, they are really not well-equipped. And that's why I had Kair Elam uh, from Florida, who's bringing, bringing some bloodlines now and um, has the length six foot one and change six foot two, really body beautiful Paul Orndorff type of player. I love can, Paul Orndorff. Yeah, there you go. So first one off the bus, good looking player as a corner, uh, great length, great size, uh, can mix it up, play physical, can play man, can play zone. And I, I really believe he has a chance to be one of the top corners off the board. I've got Derek Stingley uh, Jr. at the first corner who in my mock, I said, this will be the closest thing Jerry Jones ever sees to primetime because Stingley has been talked about playing on both sides of the ball. And so Stingley, Kair Elam, uh, some of the best corners, I think, in the 2022 draft. Yeah, I've uh, seen the kid Stingley play before because he's an LSU guy and the SEC. I think the SEC develops cornerbacks uh, as well as any league. Uh, I always get ticked. Ricky, you know this. I get ticked off when people make statements like, yeah, but the previous players at University X at that position couldn't get the job done. So that means this player's not going to – it's the whole Justin Fields thing because the quarterbacks underachieved coming out of Ohio State. Justin Fields is going to underachieve too. It has nothing to do with anything. But if you give me at least a broader canvas to paint on, like an entire conference for a position, I'll accept some of that. And it just seems like SEC corners on a year-in, year-out basis – jump into the NFL and our uh, uh, potential star players in the first round of the draft. Yeah, and Alabama does as good a job as anybody. They just reload every year. They've got another potential first-round corner in Josh Joby, who's just been buried on the depth chart there. Uh, and now he's going to have his opportunity to kind of showcase himself and a lot of people projecting him as a potential first-round pick. As the running back, Brian Robinson, who you didn't see all season long, then all of a sudden the championship game, you know, Nick Saban goes into his re-recruitment mode and hands the ball off to Brian Robinson, who could have probably been a mid-round pick just based off of his pedigree, his size, his uh, speed, you know, six foot two, twenty-four, four speed. I mean, here's a guy who maybe got 20 carries all season long. He could now kind of catapult. So yeah, SEC, there's a reason why, you know, you see 50, 60 plus players selected from the NFL draft, almost 20% of all draft picks come from the SEC. All right, Rick, I see the polo shirt. Tell me about uh, Huff football. And also, uh, Jody and I need some new polos. So tell Don Yee, double X, Jody's a little bit smaller. I'm a big guy. But yeah, just, tell us about Huff football yeah. right now. Yeah, we can make that happen. In fact, uh, we're going to announce today on my show at 9 
the Hub Football is going to be doing another free agent showcase camp uh, July 18th in San Diego, uh, right there in Don Yee's backyard for the novice football fan. You know, if you work in football, you're very familiar with Don Yee. If you're a casual fan, you might not know he's one of the more prominent agents and reps the likes of Tom Brady and Sean Payton. And so what he's, you know, rolled out a, a carpet here for NFL teams to kind of save money uh, by not having to fly in, try out guys, put them up in a hotel with the COVID and the quarantine, feed them, test them, which is costly, and then work them out. It's a bit of a process. They can send an area scout that's on the West Coast, come check out 60, 70 players at one time who – we're getting feedback and lists from the NFL team. So we're actually working with them to say, Hey, who would you like to see at the workout? We'll try to do our best to get them there. And we've had great success with it. Uh, one out of four players is signing a pro contract with the NFL or CFL. And you guys saw with the um, limited rookie tryouts this year, teams were only allowed to bring in 10 or five yeah, guys, five guys and, and years past there was upwards of 20 or more. And so it's just become really difficult still for the 2020 draft class, also for the 2021 draft class. And so this has been something that's just kind of caught like wildfire. The registrations now are in the hundreds. And so we have a whole scouting department that watches the film, uh, selects these guys. It's, it's a scouting voting process to get into the event. It's invite only. It's an exact replica of a Tuesday workout OTA style. And I'm just happy to be a small part of it. It's just been a tremendous amount of fun. And although it's down the road a little bit with the return of the USFL, you may be helping guys get uh, yeah. more jobs, if not on the NFL level, just below. All right, one last thing before we let you go, Ricky. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to put you to the test a little bit, if not pimp you. Of course. If I, if I tell <laughs> you the five quarterbacks that you have going in your top ten picks of the NFL draft, none of them are going to be the best quarterback in college football this year. The best quarterback in college football is going to be a – non-draft eligible QB and he's going to play this year at the University of Clemson. Uh that quarterback's last name would be what? Well, that is a Agugule He can't say it. I can't say it. I guarantee you McMullen can't say it. By next year we'll all be able to say it cuz he's going to be the number one in the draft in Rick Saratella's 2023 mock draft. I'm going to give it a shot here. TJ Ungalele. There you I go. Think, I think bad. that's the way it's pronounced, but I'm not even sure about Believe me, we'll all get used to it. we got two years because you got to have another year at college football before he becomes draft eligible, but he's going to be a star. How many articles are you going to have to write about him the next two years, Saratella? Well, there's going to be a lot of articles and a lot of reps in the mirror. I think somebody was practicing in the mirror with that one. Yeah. Uh, but keep a lookout, too. This Grayson McCall from Marshall. Really good-looking quarterback, was a true freshman last year. Uh, keep an eye on him. And then somebody who is draft eligible, who didn't make the mock draft, someone worth keeping an eye on, Cincinnati Bearcats quarterback Desmond Ritter. He's one of these dual threats uh, that's going to be in the Heisman contention if Cincinnati rolls off victories like they were a year ago. Ricky, good stuff. Always appreciate it whenever you come on board. And feel free to get back out on the beach there, buddy. Yeah, living, <laughs> living a tough life on the Jersey Shore. Thanks for coming on with us today, bud. No, I appreciate it, guys. And I know we're out of time, but I'll, I'll leave you with this one nugget. And maybe you guys, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to see if you guys discuss it at all. Okay. I did get back to a training camp for the first time in two years up the parkway here at the Meadowlands. And uh, I found it fascinating that 
NFL stadiums will be full capacity this year. However, media access will continue to be restricted. Yeah, it sounds yeah. like the media policy in the NFL will uh, neglect media from yeah. being allowed inside the locker room. I, I just find it fascinating. And I think this might be a change in media coverage that could be here to stay. And I, it's, it's a really dangerous road that we're going down. So I'll never let a that. good crisis go to waste. Fred. That's, how the NFL <laughs> looks at this. That, that's one of McMullen's favorite yeah. lines. And yes, we talked about it yesterday. We'll probably talk about it again more today. Ricky, thanks for helping uh, pilot the show for us. Uh, the check is in the mail. Thank you very much. <laughs> Appreciate thanks, it. Rick. Thank you. That's Rick Saratella, NFL draft Bible here with us on uh birds 365 i will say this i was on wip last night and i got a piece of information that i didn't know shame on me that i didn't know it but i did find out i had scott lauber from the inquiry on uh philly feet reporter outstanding uh, yeah they're allowed on the field now today is the first day that baseball media is allowed back on the field in pregame activities uh, and that is uh, basically batting practice. There's no such yeah. thing as infield practice, but some of the guys come out and stretch yeah. so that maybe you can get a minute, uh, get a question or two in with a guy. At least baseball is giving the uh, media that accessibility. You guys get your grass time at the gatherings during the spring. I don't know exactly how much you guys are able to uh, get players aside and be able to no, get information and do lengthy stories. Yeah, not so much. But no, baseball no. is at least trending in that direction. I am 100% with Rick. I do not think the NFL is going to open up the locker room this year. I think you guys are going to have to zoom your life away again. And I think baseball is going to hold the port as well. I do do not think that reporters are going to get back into the locker room between now and the World Series. I think this entire year. Now, next year for baseball, and that's pretty far down the road, could be a different story. Uh, but, yeah, I'm with Rick. I don't think you guys are uh, getting back. Yeah, I mean, the year. pro football writers are, are you know, fighting for everything they possibly can. Basically, they've already made the decision for training camp. It will be Zoom. Now, I think there's going to be a little bit of give and take where maybe you can get players coming off the field in an open-air environment. We'll see how that shakes out. Locker rooms are definitely not going to be open. Uh, but that's not as big as a deal during the preseason because you have so many uh, opportunities to grab guys getting off the field. So we'll see if they allow us to do that. That's what I'm concerned about for training camp. Then when the regular season, when you get in regular season mode, that's where open locker rooms really matter, both during the week after practice and uh, obviously after games. I don't think we're getting that, but we'll see. I mean, there's negotiations. They haven't made a decision yet, but I but I agree with you, man. And, I, you know, it's, it's not – you know, COVID related any longer because they're filling the stadiums. They're going to fill the press box to normal levels. It's hypocritical, Jody. It absolutely is. And one last thing, we got to get a break in, uh, but I do want to get you on record here. And I know you're smart enough not to name names. Uh, if there is an area off field where you'll have some area, players coming off the field, open air, where you get a chance to talk with players. It's a competitive business you're in, and you're in with a group of guys who are everyday Eagle reporters, and over the last year or some of their routes, uh, you've had to share information with everyone. 
because Zoom is Zoom. Everybody gets the same exact quotes. Everybody's got to work with everybody else's yeah. questions and formulate stories on with them. Uh, when you get the chance to do something individually and one-on-one, there's some guys that are going to be a little cutthroat uh, over the next however. Yeah. I know you're not going to name names, but do you have a guy that you say, yeah, I got to watch out for him. He's going to he's gonna do something to put himself in a better position to get the better storyline. There is one guy in that Eagle beat writer group that you have who's more cutthroat than anybody else, isn't there? Um, cutthroat. You know, it's interesting. Our buddy Kevin Kincaid did a story yesterday. The Inquirer hired somebody new, and I apologize. I don't know their name uh, to cover the Eagles, but I will meet him at some point. But he he called us bloodthirsty. I think people would be surprised that we get along with each other. I, I mean, we all, you see this show. I get basically everybody comes on this show with me because they like me. I think they do. Who knows? Not not every. They well, fake it the, well. We know they fake it well that they yeah, like Yeah, they much. fake it well. Um, we don't hate each other. Uh, so, I no, no. There's nobody I worry about okay. as being cutthroat. And, and, you know, if somebody gets a scoop, they got a scoop. I mean, Godspeed to them. You know, who's the one guy who would scare me? Rob Motti. He, he just... <laughs> He's too big. He's too cut. If uh, he and I were going for the same Yeah, but scare, Rob's the nicest guy in the I'm, world. I'm going to end up on the floor. I know I'm going down. It's like a Triple H forearm. It's over and done with. And no. I, I'm out of it if Marty wants to get to a guy that I'm trying to get to at a time. I got no shot, no chance. But that's uh, – you, you, you well, got now to admit scrum, to your fears in life, right? Now, and yes, now, Rob, Rob Marty scares me. The scrum in the locker room is what the Eagles will use to keep us out of the locker room right. because it's too small. They don't have a a Clemson, lo- an Oregon locker room. They don't have this giant uh, space area. So, you know, it gets pretty intimidating. Some players hate it because there's 20 people glommed onto them in the locker room. So that part, I think the Eagles are going to use to their advantage and say, look, it's too crowded. We can't do it, blah, blah, blah. But as far as cutthroat, I mean, that's usually when 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 that group leaves, and you know, you you generally the open locker room period is for an hour. I mean, it's generally when the TV people leave and the cameras leave, and you're hanging around the locker room. You get guys one on one. That's where the good stuff happens, and that's you know what people don't see, and that's what people are going to miss, whether they know it or not. One of those bloodthirsty guys, Jeff Mosher, is going to join us next hour. Not all that bloodthirsty, just a good dude and a good Eagle reporter. He's going to join us next hour. He's John McMullen. I'm Jody McDonald. We are your Mac and Mac guys here on Birds 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say... But as I always say... It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest... 
Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Mega Mac guys here with John Birds 365. Got an hour in the book, hour left to play. Thought you'd have some fun. Hearing from our buddy Rick Saratel from NFL Draft Bible. Uh, when I saw the tweet yesterday, I said, oh, this will generate some bigger <laughs> conversation. At number four, mm. well, first of all, if they're drafting number four, that That's means we're things. kind of in for a long season here, Eagle fans. Uh, I, I don't know if they'll be drafting quite that high. Uh, well, honestly, uh, you know what, Jody, if you want to play positive, Sure. If Miami is terrible and they're trapped in at number four because of Miami, well, that's good. But I don't think that's going to happen. Although I do think Miami's not going to be as good as people think they really? are. Really? Yeah. I'm not a big Tua guy. I, yeah, you know, I am. 
a lot of a lot of it is the injury. I don't think he's been the same guy. Maybe he's better. Maybe maybe he's healthier. Maybe he comes off uh, and he's feeling better. And obviously, that would actually be bad for the Eagles from that perspective. I did not like the guy I saw last year, but maybe it's just the injury. Yeah, nor did I, and I was a little disappointed by what he did, but I think you're right. I think he'll be a year healthier and a little bit more in control. I liked what he actually did. I don't want to get off on too much of a two tangent here, but um, he came out and said, yet yeah, truth be told, I did not have confidence in my ability to judge the playbook that he didn't uh, either comprehend or have enough confidence to check off plays this year. He yeah, said that was a bad sign too. I didn't even think of that. You're right. He did mention that. I was talking more the physical perspective, but yeah, now that was another red flag. Now that you bring that up, I'd forgotten it because that is something that, you know, isn't affected in theory uh, by any physical limitation from injury, getting into the playbook, learning the playbook. Um, you know, one of the things I think, by the way, that is, a tremendous strength of Jalen Hurts. That's a that's a concern for me when you have a quarterback admitting that. Right, but I'm a big fan, so I'm going to spin it for you. Uh, it was more the fact that he didn't have enough confidence in himself to check out of what uh, was a potential play call. He said this, that he just had faith in his coaching staff, that whatever play they sent in, he was going to be able to do enough with it to be able to run the play and be successful with the play. Well, he had way too many short passes. You know who would have been a great fit with Tua this year in Miami? Greg Ward. Those tremendous four-yard <laughs> receptions. Tua had a bunch of them, and Greg is real good at that. So they could have been a uh, perfect fit, uh, but I'm kidding here. Uh, I think Tua's going to have a breakout season. I think he will be that much more healthy. He'll be that much more confident. They uh, added Waddle to that outside receiving core, which was pretty good to begin with. It's got a nice tight end. Oh, I, I actually believe, and Ricky laid it out for us, um, the, he had the Eagles drafting at number 16 with Miami's pick and yeah. number 18 with the Colts pick. I believe the Colts pick will be before the Dolphin pick this year. If the Eagles get the Colts pick, which I think they will. I think yeah, that was the it. other I was going to bring up. That's the other good news. So that means he's projecting Carson Wentz plays. So, you know, 70, 75% of the snaps. So uh, if the Eagles get that third first round pick, I think he's right, to be honest. They're both, I just brought that up. If Miami, you know, goes off the rails, maybe that is, is where the Eagles are picking. But I think they're going to be right in the middle of the pack. So that's about right to me. Uh, Indianapolis a little bit better. That's about right to me. Uh, and the Eagles, top five, that's the question. Are the Eagles as bad as everybody thinks nationally? I think they're a little bit better than that, to be honest. But right. you, you and I both went through it yeah. and had them at eight and nine. Uh, and eight and nine. And is by the good. way, one of the reasons, Jody, offensive line, and Rick was down on the offensive yeah. line. Yeah. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with – look – the health concerns are real. You can't expect 30 plus 30 guys to all of a sudden be this pristine, healthy guys. But if they're out there, I think you got to put that caveat on there. If they're out there, that's, that's a really good group on the offensive line. And with your quality draft uh, grass time that you guys had, 
And again, I say with tongue somewhat implanted in cheek, uh, you can only judge so much, no pads, no nothing, just guys competing in drills uh, and competitions more than anything else. But uh, could you judge anything on Brandon Brooks as to how he just Mm -hmm. looked, how he moved around? It's not going to tell you whether he's going to be able to survive the entire season health-wise and or what level he's going to be able to perform his duties at. But you could probably get a sense as to where he's come in reference to his injury. Brandon Brooks look good to you? Oh, he looks great. Remember, he got hurt in June, Jody. So it's basically a calendar year for what is typically a nine-month injury. So he's completely healthy. My only concern with Brandon Brooks is he lost a lot of weight. I think I I told you this before um, to rehab the Achilles. So, you know, this is a guy who was 335, 340 pounds. The strength of his game was he was the strongest guy out there. He could just move the pile. He lost, went, went down to about 270. If you saw the pictures on social media, He's in the mixed martial arts. He he looked like uh, Rick Saratella brought up uh, Paul Orndorff. I'll do it again because you know me. <laughs> he looked like Paul Orndorff in these pictures. That's what his body looked like. So I see him at camp. He looks to be about 310, 315, maybe. He's not 340. So is he going to be the same player he was pre-injury. That is my one concern with Brandon Brooks. Does he have the same power, you know, or is or is he trying to look like Paul Orndor? Was, a, was his know. normal playing weight as high as 340? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, why did I think it was more like between 325 and 330? You'd nah, say Brandon. it was 340, huh? Yeah, that's what he was listed. Six five three forty was what he was listed at, um, and and he lost. Like I said, he probably got down to two hundred seventy pounds. That's how much weight he lost, and he looked phenomenal. He looked like he could go on to, um, you know, WWE wrestling and 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 be a top star from a, you know, a cosmetic standpoint. That always does. You're training for different things, Jody. Right. You're training to look for look like Paul Orndorff. You're training to push people around. That's my concern. And when you took a look at him in uh, grass time this past week, he's in the middle there somewhere. Yeah, he's in the not middle. The, he's not the 270 that he no. was, but he's not no. the 340 that he used to be either. Uh, so he's certainly got another, I think it's seven weeks before camp starts. And then you tack on another month before the season starts when it really does matter. Uh, how many pounds of muscle do you think he still needs to add? If he's going to be down from the 340 that he used to play at, you surely don't want to see him at 275 at guard in the league. But what do you think is the reasonable number to expect Brooks to be at when the uh, first game of the season? I don't know what he wants to do. I mean... Does he want to keep the weight off to, to make it easier on his account? Remember, he tore both of them. And, and then the question is, that makes perfect sense to me. But then the question is, are you the same player? Do you have right. the same strength? Do you have the same power? If he gets up to 330, 335, um, is he going to get injured again? So that's kind of the catch-22 you're dealing with. 
I don't know if he's going to be the same player at, at you know, 310, 305, whatever he is now. Um, that's a wait and see type of thing. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that he just looks good physically, that he's moving well. I think that's a big thing. Coming back from the kind of injury that he had, you have to have your mobility. You have to be able to move. And if he's moving well, that's a really good thing. If he still needs to put a little bit more bulk on because he dropped so much just to get in shape, to be able to move that well, okay, so be it. Um, and we've still got time to go before the season starts. Uh, I have faith that if he got up to 340 pounds and out of his regular playing weight, he can get back there again. You just got to eat right and uh, put in the time working out and building up the, the muscles again. I think he should be able to pull it off. All right, we got Jeff Mosher is going to join us coming up here in uh, 10 minutes, somewhere thereabouts. Uh, we'll get back into the details about the Eagles. Uh, and I do want to ask him about what I brought up at the beginning of the show. Jeff McClain talking about Fletcher Cox and a relationship between Fletcher Cox and Howie Roseman and how much Howie actually talks to the players. And you guys got to report this and hopefully you have the access to the players to be able to find out things like, uh, yeah, you know, Fletcher Cox is actually in the mix. Fletcher Cox, I know for a fact he was one of the guys who helped recruit Ryan Kerrigan when they decided to get involved with Kerrigan and make a play for him and how he believed, hey, we're in this. We got a chance to actually get this guy's name on a contract. Yo, Fletch, you want to make a call to him? And he uh, used a couple of guys to play recruiter to get Ryan Kerrigan. Does that work still in the National Football League, you think, John? Yeah, it works. I mean, Ryan said guys were recruiting him, and that's one of the reasons he wanted to be here. You know, we had Chris Russell, I think the scheme – we had him on the program. I think the scheme helped him as well. Um, you know, what's interesting, we've had so many executives on recently. We had Mike Tannenbaum. We had Amy Trask. We had Andrew Brandt a while ago. We had Randy Mueller. Every single one of them, Jody, every single one of them talked about communication. Generally, they were usually talking about Aaron Rodgers and how things have gone so badly in Green Bay. But they talked about the communication with your star players you got to do it it's got to be part of the job you got to encourage them you got to keep them in the loop my question is not keeping them in the loop as i said earlier in the show it's about are you listening to them you know i mean that is different you got to make decisions you got to make hard decisions um fletcher cox doesn't have the time to look at all the personnel look at who's available do the film work see the ceiling of younger players, see what Brian Kerrigan has left, blah, blah, blah. But after that communication, you want to say, hey, Fletcher, call up Brian Kerrigan. We want this guy, whatever. Yeah, that could be really, really helpful. Do you think that when Howie Roseman gets in contact with his star players who have been around for a while and at least runs things by them, and there's a lot of different ways you can take a statement like I just made, runs things by them, if then he decides to go in a different direction, if he gets their take and he decides to do things differently, do you now put that relationship at risk? Because if I were a player and the GM called me and said, what do you think? And I felt really strongly about it and had his ear, even if it's on the phone, and then he turns around and basically either doesn't get it done or does well, the exact opposite. No. And kick me off. Why'd you call me, Roseman? If you're going to call me, aren't you going to at least take my counsel? 
that that part I think is easy to deal with, Jody. You just put on the the you know you just put on the hat like oh Fletcher, I really tried to get it done. We couldn't get it done. I really wanted to get it done. Thanks for your input. That that part to me is easy. You, you ineffectual little weasel! Don't give me tried. Tell me you, when I say I tried on third down. Well, come on, I mean. And uh, it doesn't get done. You don't go. Oh well, yeah, yeah. You tried real hard. Good job when, there, big guy. When you're talking about players, it's easy. I mean, there's 31 other teams you're competing against, and saying, "Oh, the salary cap, this, that." I don't think you're going to get the ineffectual weasel. Maybe you know, maybe some people, but um, I think when would, it becomes personal, would be the first time Harry Roseman's called an ineffectual no, weasel. I got news for not. you. Um, when it becomes personal, like Zach Ertz, and it becomes one-on-one, and then you're blowing smoke up as you-know-what, then it becomes a problem. But that's a personal thing. You go all the way back to the Lane Johnson story. Like, that's where I think Howie makes his mistakes. He tries to be buddy-buddy, and he's trying to break balls with the players. Don't try to break balls with the players. Be professional. Everything goes back to Moneyball and professional sports. We were talking about it with Mike Gill earlier on the week. It's one of those months where it's always on cable. Uh, You know, obviously baseball-related Oakland A's, but you see the interaction between the GM and and the players. Um, it's It's a very good movie. People who haven't seen it, I don't know if there's anybody left, should watch it. But nonetheless, you see the interaction. And one of the parts is Brad Bid. Brad Pitt, who plays Billy Bean, says he's trying to tell his assistant GM, and he's like, part of the job, man. Just be professional. Just tell them, you know, they're getting in the case. They're getting traded. Just say, here's the name of the traveling second secretary. Give them a call. You've been traded, blah, blah, blah. Just be professional. Don't break balls. Don't try to be their friends. Don't say, hey, Lane, blah, blah, blah. Then you get in trouble. I think Howie sometimes has a, a problem with that de- demarcation law. By the way, just personally, I have a general rule. I try not to break the balls of anyone who outweighs me by 100 pounds. That's <laughs> just a general rule that I use. If you've got me by 100 plus, yeah, I'm not going to try and make, break the ball. That's uh, uh, words to live by. I don't know that Howie's figured that one out. Well, I think you got to understand the situation. Like Lane Johnson's the nicest guy in the world. If if you're his friend, I don't care if you're 140 pounds or or 400 pounds, you could probably get away with breaking his balls. If you're not his friend and you get him on the wrong day, yeah, you're probably right. All right, we'll have some fun uh, chatting this all up with our next guest, Jeff Mosher, going to hop aboard next right here on Birds 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. 
Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Mac and Mac guys here on Birds 365. Hoping to hear from uh, Jeff Mosher, uh, host of Inside the Eagles podcast. Uh, should be on with us shortly. We'll see. Uh, uh, when he gets through, he gets through. We'll punch him up at that time. Uh, until then, J-Mac J- and I will just continue to shoot the breeze with you on the birds. Um, the Eagles have finished their gatherings for this mm-hmm. offseason since they don't have a mandatory mini camp. And a couple of weeks ago before the – well, I guess it was after the draft – uh, but before the OTAs were going to start, uh, you, of course, have your little rookie minicamp, but then you have uh, everybody coming in for uh, gatherings. A lot of NFL teams, I think it was the majority, more than half, decided we're going to do away with mandatory minicamps. If the union will, in good faith, in talking to each of the teams, and certainly as a collective, uh, promise good turnouts for voluntary camps, then let's take that whole mandatory thing off the table that we don't make players show up. Not every team signed off on it. A lot of them did, and Eagles were certainly one of them. One that didn't was the Green Bay Packers, which is where all the attention in the NFL is going to be paid today, Johnny Mack, to see if that 
Rodgers guy shows up in Green Bay. It is certainly a story we're going to keep our eye on. Uh, but we are lucky enough now to be joined by a guy who we told him this before. We'll tell him it again. He's got to change the spelling of that first name. Uh, can't be using the G because if you're going to be a J, uh, an M, you're going to join JM, John McMullen, JM, Jody McDonald. You can be JM, Jeff Mosher. No, he's been G Mosher for a long time, and we're good. Uh, glad to have him aboard. How are you, Jeff? I'm good. I think I've been called a J-O before. So I think- <laughs> <laughs> we've we've all been there. Jeff. Yeah, so yeah, I'm going to keep at the GM there. for now. To- <laughs> yeah. That is a, that's probably, that, that explains a lot, Jeff, right there. <laughs> well, you know it, Johnny. You know me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I didn't say they were wrong. I just said I've been wrong. <laughs> and uh, by the way, check out uh, Jeff's podcast, Inside the Birds, insidethebirds.com, with also a friend of the show, Adam Kaplan. So want to get that uh, out of the way quickly. But I do want to talk, before you jumped on, Jeff, we were talking about competition, and that's been the mantra of Nick Sirianni, I think it's a little bit overblown. What coach doesn't want competition? I mean, that's common sense. But one thing I did want to pick your brain about is there are mandatory minicamps around this league. Aaron Rodgers is the story because he's not going to show up in Green Bay. Should the Eagles have held the line and said, you know what? This is important for a young coaching staff, rookie head coach, young players' development. If certain veterans don't show up, fine, but we need this work. Should they have held the line and just move forward? Right. That's a good question. Um, something Adam and I have talked about a lot, Johnny. And and honestly, however you sliced it, I think it was going to be an unideal offseason, again, for the Eagles. And this one more so because of the new coaching staff and a lot of new players and a co- new quarterback and everything like that. So if you're Nick Sirianni, you're looking at, Two different situations, right? You you can say, I'm going to kind of put the iron fist down and show everybody who I am, kind of like Andy did early on with the George Hageman and things like that, and say, mandatory means mandatory, so be there. And what would have happened was the whole team would have been there for three days or faced fines, and then they probably wouldn't – most of the guys probably wouldn't have showed up for the voluntary stuff. So if I'm a new head coach, do I want to do that and only get three days full team where I can do whatever I want? Or do I want to have uh, two to three weeks to at least have my coaching staff get to know guys, do individual stuff? And I can see the merits of both. But I think for his personality, for who he is, he probably made the right choice in having to negotiate with his team and get them in there, get the learning, get the scheme, get the new playbook down. Maybe if this were a different situation. And he wasn't a first-year head coach and didn't have so much newness, I can understand. But I think I can understand in his shoes trading the three mandatory days of everybody for having two weeks and, and then nobody else after that or before that for having two to three weeks of as many people there as I can get. Jeff, glad yeah. you went there because yeah. uh, John and I have had fun with this the last couple of days. Nick Sirianni and how he is being perceived he is an excitable guy. He's an upbeat kind of guy. And that comes across when he's talking to you guys from the media and when he's working with his players. And they seem to enjoy the uh, camps or gatherings, whatever you want to call them, that the Eagles have put together. Uh, John was saying yesterday, I he thinks Nick Sirianni is going to be a hit or miss guy. If they come out and they win, that the town and the team and the media could all fall in love with him. But if they come out and go 0-3 or 1-5, and 
that this could be a house of cards, that the whole rah-rah stuff is going to play very poorly for you guys who cover the team and Eagle Nation. You see it the same way, that the start for this upcoming season is going to go a long way in dictating how we think about Nick Sirianni? From a public standpoint, yes. I mean, and then that's the case with anybody, whether you're a rah-rah or quieter. I mean, Doug Peterson, people, half the fan base wanted him fired after year one because he wasn't, you know, he was too busy loving on <laughs> players instead of, you know, ruling with an iron fist. So, you and and part of what fed into that is he started off 3-0 and and he kind of set unrealistic expectations for how the rest of the season was going to go. And then when they started to lose those games that inevitably – they were going to lose. He became a terrible coach and a guy who can't motivate his team and yada, yada. So I, I worry more about, I mean, not worry, but I think more about not how we're going to perceive him, but how the players in the locker room will perceive him after a tough loss. He seems like the perfect coach to have after a nice win, a rah-rah guy. Everybody's in, a, in, in great spirits. But, you know, what happens when you lose at the buzzer on a field goal in Dallas? And how do you, you know, relay that to your team? And then how do you kind of, present yourself in the press conference are you going to be rah-rah to a bunch of angry Eagles fans who you know wanted blood sure that that'll matter a little bit for as far as perception but um just based on me talking with former players early on in the process about how they felt about the Nick Sirianni press conferences and they're human beings like us they were looking at these press conferences the guys I spoke to like this seems interesting and a little weird. He's a little bit of an over-explainer, and then you just wonder how that's going to um, go over in the locker room, not after the wins, but after the tough losses. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned those press conferences. You're right, Jeff. They don't matter. But, you know, it is something to when you do something different. And, <clears throat> you know, we talk about the competition. We talk about the tetherball. We talk about uh, the, the backpedal races and – you know, it's not a typical NFL practice. At least it hasn't been to this point. Right. Um, when you do something different and it it goes awry, people tend to pile on. When you do something different and successful, you're innovative. You're great. You're ahead of the curve. So that's more of what I was getting at. Do you see any of that potentially happening, going awry, or you think that's a little bit overblown? No, that's a good question. I mean, the only person who I can remember, you know, as far as covering the team that did things unconventionally from start to finish was Chip Kelly. And there you saw an example of a guy who it really didn't matter whether winning or losing happened from a player standpoint, because there were certain things that he implemented that were questioned right away. But there are also some things that he did that are still involved with the team today. They were long-lasting. They mm -hmm. stood the test of time past him. That's the, the strength and coordination program that he put in, um, the, the analytics-based fitness program, the smoothie shakes, the music at practice, and things like that. So, unfortunately, we have to be in wait and see with Nick Sirianni as far as is he just a rah-rah guy or is there a, a science or is there a substance behind what he's doing that is going to make sense when all is said and done? And again, does this help him relate to his players to, to enable him to become the best coach that he can be? I, I feel like there's some Pete Carroll in him just from a personality standpoint. But Pete Carroll won right away, and he has stood the test of time with his coaching, although you can question some of his philosophies. He's done a, a great job. And we'll have to see with Nick Sirianni if this is more pomp and circumstance or if there's a whole lot of substance behind what he's implementing here. 
Hi, Jeff. I uh, checked your Twitter during the show. <clears throat> I've been talking to McMullen here. And neither one of you, you guys has reported that Zach Ertz has been traded yet today. Uh, so oh, it's, a, it's another day that Zach Ertz is still here as a member of the Philadelphia Eagles. These next, how many weeks till camp opens up? Six or seven, somewhere there? I don't know the yeah. exact number. July 27th. So, you can so do that's close, close to seven weeks, as a matter of fact. Nothing's happening. No one is trimming their cap to be able to fit Zach Ertz in. No one's going to get hurt this last week. There's a couple teams like Green Bay, mandatory minicamp. I guess a tight end could blow out his knee in a tether ball competition, which could make him more viable to trade. But it's highly unlikely any of that's going to happen. So how do these next seven weeks play? Are Howie Roseman and Zach Ertz and his agent continue to play chicken and just stare at each other? Or is something going to get done? Well, at some point, I think that there will probably be you know, whatever has taken place between Howie Roseman and his agent, it's probably going to ratchet up in the next few weeks. I, I think you make an interesting point about nobody getting hurt here in mini camps, and you're right because the only, but the only reason I can see them holding on to Zach Ertz right now is for them to see if somebody gets hurt in training camp, and all of a sudden a desperate team, uh, you know, the Colts or somebody who who could use a tight end. So in other make, words, this is going nine more weeks. Forget the seven weeks to get the camp. You're telling me it's <clears> nine <throat> more weeks before something actually gets done. To me, that would have to be the only reason because I I cannot buy that they're hanging on to him and they're going to keep him on the roster and then get a compensatory pick when he leaves at the end of the year because does that mean you're going to play him? Because I can't imagine that you're you're in discussions yeah. right now on a contract extension with Dallas Goddard and you're still going to bring back Zach Ertz because if you bring back Zach Ertz, you can't just not play him. You have to be a two tight end offense, which is not what they want to be. They've invested now in in wideouts and in general. I think you know the owner wants an explosive offense, and you can't really be that way with two tight ends. And he's a guy who's in the last year of his deal. There's no actual to me. There's no sense, both philosophically or economically, to have Zach Ertz on your roster. You can cut him right now and not owe him a single cent. And clear yeah. up that cap space. So the only reason they'll have them on your <laughs> roster right now is because you think you're getting something in return. But the league has already told you by now you're not getting anything in return. They the other teams don't want to take him on for eight and a half million. And he doesn't appear. I don't know, you know, if he said it or not, but I mean, you would think that if he really wanted to get out of there, um, he would either take a pay cut or restructure his deal, but that hasn't happened. So it's a standoff right now, and the Eagles aren't blinking, but I don't see how this benefits them in any way unless. They're able to trade him because another tight end from another team gets hurt. It's just this Howie being hard-headed, Jeff, and the fact that he wants to win every trade, holding on for the you know dear life for the very end. Because you bring up the point, Nick Sirianni doesn't even want want to run two tight ends. He wants he wants three receivers on the field. Jeffrey Lurie wants three receivers on the field. Oh, by mm -hmm. the way, Doug Peterson wanted three receivers on the field. But Doug was smart enough to know that, well, Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard are just better than my receivers. Right. If Nick Sirianni goes to training camp, he's going to have to admit to himself, Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz are better than my receivers. We'll yeah. put Devontae Smith aside. Right. So why do they even want that headache? I don't know. I mean, they, they just went through this last year with Alshon Jeffrey, a guy that they didn't want to have on the roster, but had to because he was hurt in the offseason and they couldn't trade him. They couldn't cut him then without paying him the, the full money for him not to be on the team. And as soon as he got healthy, 
they felt a temptation to play him. And look what that did to Travis Fogelman. Look what that just did in general. I mean, it looked awkward for a team that terrible to be playing a 30-some-odd-year-old receiver coming off of an injury who they weren't even going to be able to trade because of anything that he did last year. So uh, to me, you, you face the same situ- a little bit of the same situation with Zach Ertz. If he's on the roster making that money, you're going to feel compelled to play him. And you're trying right now to feature Dallas Goddard as your number one tight end. And that's going to take away from him. It's going to take away from the receivers we talked about. So, yes, I see, I see the hard-headedness of this that you're referring to, John. However, if somebody does get hurt, I mean, this team has gotten that ha- has had that gem happen to them before, usually yeah, quarterback, Bradford, yeah. and they're able to trade Ertz and get a third or a fourth or something like that, then he's going to look like a genius. Jeff, I want your take on this because I think John and I – See this a little bit differently, but maybe maybe John's just playing devil's advocate. No, I uh, wouldn't trade Ben Simmons. Uh, no, 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 no. Oh, my bad. <laughs> not, not, not where I was going, but oh, okay. uh, not surprising you went there. I would um, for Lillard, though. But go ahead. <laughs> maybe it's in my DNA and my genes. I'm I'm a blood and guts, results oriented kind of uh, relate to the general manager kind of guy because my father did it way back when. Um, I don't believe in owing players something. There was a time, I'm old enough to remember when, yes, there was ties between players and organizations. I just don't think that exists the way that it used to. It barely exists at all. And John has suggested because Zach Ertz is arguably the greatest tight end in the history of the Eagles franchise and was a contributor to a championship team, that the Eagles kind of owe Zach Ertz. I don't think they owe him anything. Uh, the Eagles don't owe Zach Ertz, and Zach Ertz doesn't owe the Philadelphia Eagles. It cuts the same both ways, and I don't think loyalty is part of it either way anymore. Well, do you do you think that that is still part of it? Do you think the Eagles have to take that into consideration, or is it just hey, business is business? Let me let me meet you, guys, both halfway on this. Um, I agree with you to an extent, Jody, that business is business, but I also think that. You can be a team. I think taking care of your players the right way goes a long way in sports. If you're known as a team that does take care of your players, you're you're a more attractive place for good players to want to come to. There are certain teams that have reputations, whether it's baseball, football, basketball, of not be and certain owners who have reputations of not taking care of their players very well, and and they suffer as a result. But in this specific case, remember that Zach Ertz has restructured his deal, I believe, four times. And sometimes when you restructure and push that money down the road, um, you wind up in a situation like this where you want out, but because you restructured and have this money down, it's harder for you to get out, right? And the team acknowledges it wants out too, but it has the control to hold over you. Now, he didn't have to restructure his contract four times, and he did it under the premise that if something happens down the road, you're going to take care of me the way I'm taking care of you right now. Okay, so that's where I feel like business is business, but, you know, and you could say, well, Zach, you were, you were the naive one to restructure four times, but you do kind of expect that if you're going to help the team out, they're going to help you out a little bit. And it doesn't feel like there's been a mutual uh, process here of, of uh, treating each other correctly. It seems like Zach's the one who's made more of the sacrifice than the Eagles in this case. Now, Jeff, I want to add some context to that. Go back to the Seattle playoff game as well where Zach plays with the fractured rib, plays with the lacerated kidney, uh, shouldn't have been on the field, does it for this organization. So my point would be more of other players see that. 
Other players see what Zach Ertz did for the organization. They know what he did contract-wise, as you pointed out. Mm -hmm. So my point is more, can that affect the other players in the locker room saying, okay, they're doing Zach Ertz dirty, so why aren't they going to do me dirty down the road? Is Can that seep into some thinking? It sure it could it could uh, now now does that stuff go away when a team wins yeah. sure because you can yeah. turn over I mean I remember in the early 2000s you know every single eagle who did an extension after two years was mad two years later when the market was reset yeah. and they were yeah. making lower and they all complained about it in some form or fashion and it didn't seem to hurt the eagles reputation it certainly didn't do anything to Andy Reid's reputation it just hurt Joe Banner's reputation and so the coach always winds up getting off scot-free and when you're a winning coach like Andy players want to play for you they don't say I'm going to sign with the Eagles to play for Joe Banner or Jeffrey Lurie so that goes back to our conversation about how good of a coach Nick Sirianni can be can he be the type of coach and this will open up a an even larger discussion for you guys to have for the rest of the summer can he be the type of coach that can overcome the the stigmas the deficiencies and the things that go on in the front office year to year to year that always make us look at the Eagles like what are you doing you know, yeah. like go look at the last 18 months. I mean, people are feeling more positive now. And you, you notice how revisionist historians kind of forget about what happened over the last 15, 16 months because they're all enamored with the newness. But this team every three to five years seems to go through a cycle of dysfunction. And um, there's a reason for that. Right. So mm-hmm. good coaches like Andy and, and to some extent, Doug, until it caught up to him, have been able to overcome that. But you just wonder how many times they can keep doing that. Jeff, if uh, Zach Ertz becoming an ex-Eagle isn't the thing that Eagle fans are most tired waiting on, well, then that would be who is actually going to be the starting cornerback across from Darius Slay? Who is going to be CB2 here on the Philadelphia Eagles? Because my partner, Johnny Mack, continues to assure me that person is not in Philadelphia just yet. At some point, he's coming in from the outside And we continue to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait to find out who that is, either free agents that are left who are getting uh, smaller and smaller and smaller a group as we go along and or a potential Howie Roseman trade. When actually are we going to find out that, oh, no, it's going to be Michael Jaquette. He's going to start across. (laughs) When is that going to happen? Well, if it's Michael, if it's going to be Michael Jaquette, <laughs> you might as well not have your expectations very high for the Eagles defense this year. Uh, I don't know when it's going to happen. Um, I do think I agree, I agree with John. I think it, there will be movement. You remember, I mean, 2017. Now, granted, totally different situation, but they traded for Ronald Darby like three weeks into training camp. So there, I, I would say there, there's not a rush, but I know what the reality is and fans want to know exactly now. But I mean. The point is that the season doesn't start until September. There's always ways to get a guy. But I think it would be smart for them with a new defense to kind of get a guy as soon as they can. But they're not going to overpay. They're not going to sit there and pay Steven Nelson $6 million just because he's out there and they need a cornerback. That's not – if you look at all their moves this offseason, most of them have been we'll we'll get a guy at a bargain deal. You get a guy like Ryan Kerrigan, you only have to pay $2.5 That's a bargain deal. So they're not going to overpay for Steven Nelson, who I think – probably has a higher opinion of himself financially than the rest of the league. And we'll yes. see what happens with, with his deal. There are some other names out there. And then, of course, there's the veteran cutdowns. Now, remember, there's more cutdown days norm this year, right? They went back to the old style of having two, three, yeah. or four uh, styles of cuts. And, and I'm sure the Eagles will monitor the, that too. But the 
fans want to know who this guy is. And I keep saying, no matter who it's going to be, it's very doubtful this guy's going to be a game changer. Even if it's Steven Nelson, if quarterbacks decide that Darius Slay is looking like the real Darius Slay and they want to go throw at Steven Nelson, I, I'm not expecting Steven Nelson to be a shutdown corner on that side. So, I mean, there's a reason why he's unemployed this late into the year. So, no how matter about who you get. Yeah, how about a fourth-round pick, uh, Jeff? Zach McPherson. I, yeah. I do want to talk about competition because, mm-hmm. you know, Nick brings it up all the time, but we all know that's not true. Fletcher Cox isn't competing, Brandon Graham, so forth and so on. Left tackle, cornerback, Zach McPherson, running back two. Mm, anywhere else you see that is true competitions? I mean, did you, I'm sorry. You said left tackle, cornerback, and where? Running back, second, backup running back to Miles. Yeah, no, Sanders. that's a good one. You know, RB two is good. Cornerback. You know, I I can't imagine there's competition per se at safety. But if Rodney McLeod can't go, or if yeah. starts to show real decline, I mean, you've got some some interesting sta- safety options there, including you know Kavon Wallace being a second year guy, uh, slot receiver is going to be pretty interesting to, because I know they're going to move guys around and they have a chance to be more explosive. Um, from the interior receiver, if they if Greg Ward's off the field and say Jalen Rager, don't say that, Jeff. Jody is going to get upset if you say Greg Ward's not going to be on the field. Another Listen. another Greg Ward hater. All right, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, most enjoyed not, Greg not, a, not, a, not a hater. I just know yeah. how you I'm, know, I'm out there on the island by myself. Yeah. Uh, the Misfit Toys, me and Greg Ward, we're perfectly fine. Thank you very much. Hey, Thank that's you. okay. You know what? He's proved a lot. He's already uh, right. overcome a lot. So yeah. They want to get better at the position, but we'll start at left tackle, Jeff. Jordan Mylata versus Andre Dillard. I think I'm in the minority. I think if Andre Dillard is telling me the truth, and he told me he's gotten a lot of, lot stronger, and if he can handle the bull rush, he's going to be the Eagles' starting left tackle. Wow. Um, I mean, certainly that was his big like bugaboo as a left tackle, that toughness, that bull rush. Uh, and then the weight that he needed to put on, which apparently he has. So if I, I would say I would agree if he's checking off every single box, then he probably has as much upside, if not more, than uh, Jordan Mailata. But I think it'll be difficult to unseat him because Mailata already has that part of his game. He does. And if he can improve just a little bit, you know, take us. I think he has smaller steps to go to reach his fullest potential than Andre Dillard. So that's why I would put Mylotta as the lead horse right now. But I can certainly see a scenario where things change if Andre Dillard really makes the the big jump or, or bridges the huge gap right now that he needs to to become an elite left tackle. Let me throw a monkey wrench into the whole left tackle conversation. And again, the hypothetical. We do this all the time here on the show. I do it all the time on my radio shows, too. And some people hate it, and I love it. Sorry, I apologize to those of you who hate hypotheticals. And this one is a little far-fetched, but not 100% far-fetched. Let's say Landon Dickerson, because he doesn't get his contract done for another couple weeks, and I get the bus Johnny Shops about the fact that he's the only unsigned draft pick, he comes in with a chip on his shoulder, and he's ready to play. Granted, they're not doing anything in these competitions that they're doing. But when camp actually opens up, not only does he go out there and work, he goes out there and dominates, and he is showing to be the best offensive lineman on this team whose job is in jeopardy. 
Wow, that is the king of hypotheticals yeah. right there. Yeah, I, told you, I, told you, I told you I was pushing the envelope ahead of <laughs> he time. Just, he just had ACL surgery in late December. <laughs> Come on! I mean, He's that a beast. Yeah. Have you seen this guy? He's an animal. He is He's a, coming he's to compete. A, he's he's going to take the coach mm. at his word. It's a competition. And he shows up in camp ready to compete, and he's the best. He, can. he, won't, be, he won't be cleared to practice. Well, that, that's what I was just about to get at. I mean, you, yeah. that's the king hypothetical because we have no idea if his health makes him ready. Yeah. But in your hypothetical situation, Thank it's you. not uncommon for a guy who – Shows the talent to still have to kind of wait it out, and it usually doesn't take long. I mean, not that this is similar, but Isaac Samuel lasted all of two two weeks in 2017 before they put Steph Wisniewski in, right? So um, there's going to be somebody who gives up a sack, or somebody who gets hurt, or somebody who stubs their toe that would that would clear the case for for Landon Dickerson. I, I think the big, bigger question is with him is he's been kind of billed as Jason Kelsey's successor because we know it's probably Kelsey's last year, but the way this guy is so monstrous. Yeah. Like a center is a helping position, right? You're either going to help your your right guard, help your left guard. So every once in a while when the blitz is coming, it's five men. You got to take a guy on yourself. But he's so monstrous. Like I can't get past my head what a combo block between him and Maialata would look like with at 350 or him and Dillard, a, a different Dillard on on some three technique driving him back. So I almost wonder if if it's Sayamalu who's going to eventually move to center and Dickerson's going to be one of your big mauling guards, you know, your Quentin Nelson-like kind of guards, although not as athletic, but still a mauler in the sense. So it'll be to me, it'll be more interesting to see where he gets on the field than when he gets on the field. Because, you know, Jody, with injuries, especially with this team, he'll get on the field when he's true. ready. Yeah. That is true. Uh, injuries and, you know, post-30 players, they don't tend to get healthy all of a sudden after having those injuries year after year after year. So it's it's right to be concerned about Lane Johnson and Brandon Brooks. But I do want to put your Jonathan Gannon hat on and go back to cornerback, Jeff, because if, if I'm not getting a corner, uh, I can't get Stephen Nelson. I can't make a trade in August. And I force you to put out three cornerbacks from the current roster. How are you doing it? Avante Maddox just outside to start, kick him inside. Are you putting Zach McPherson on the field? Are you throwing Mike Jaquette to the Wolves? How do you do it? Oh, man. Can, can you, in this King hypothetical, can you give me a, a, your feeling on how Josiah Scott's playing? <laughs> well, the thing is, can you put – Josiah Scott in the nickel. Can you put Abonte Maddox outside? They're both clones of each other. They're right. both five nine. They're they both are. undersized. They're both they Fourth both run fast. But yeah. you know, Julio Jones is out there. Mike Evans, all the you know, who uh, thankfully he's not going to be in Atlanta week one. But mm -hmm. you know how many monstrous receivers there are. Yeah, take Josiah Scott or Avante Maddox. Can you put any of them outside? Well, I think if you're Jonathan Gannon and you're being honest with yourself and you know that your defense has um, a ways to go from where it needs to be, and when I say a ways to go, it's not going to be this year, I, I don't see anything wrong with a little bit of um, juxtaposing guys, you know, and situationally. In fact, Jim Schwartz did that, what, 2016 or 17 when um, Darby got hurt. You remember he would play – uh, Jalen Mills, he would play um, Jalen uh, Watkins, was it? You know, the kid from yeah, Florida Jaylen that Watkins, came up. Yeah, yeah he, he wound up kind of oh, – and, and Rasul Douglas. He would wind up playing these guys in different times um, just to kind of get a look 
on how they would be in certain situations. And so if that's the case, right, I, I think you got to probably look at playing some situational football in that you would probably start with either Maddox or Scott, because as you mentioned, they're clones as your outside corner uh, in rundowns and then move one of them inside and then maybe bring in a McPherson or whomever. Um, to play the outside uh, in pass downs or you just kind of you don't want to telegraph so you might have to mix it up a little bit but I I think there's an opportunity then to get McPherson on the field and see what he's got without just throwing him to the wolves and saying you're playing every snap opposite Darius Slay. Most if uh, hypotheticals aren't my favorite question this one is and I'll make it my last one to you the give me the percentage that question. Okay. Uh, starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles in 2022, the percentage that his name is Jalen Hurts. At this time, what kind of percentage would you stick on that? I'm going to give you a Chip Kelly answer. 50%. He either is or he either is. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice dodge. Hold on. Let me get my abacus to uh, try to figure out the percentage there. Look, I mean, yeah. I think there's a difficult – I'll answer your question – the best I can. And that's, I think there's a difficulty. It sounds fine in theory that you hear people say, Hey, give him a year, see what he's got. But I, I can think of a lot of quarterbacks who, you know, improved after a rough year or, you know, were really good in one year and then kind of regressed to the mean the next year. Um, so I almost think that when you say I give a guy a year to see how he is, it's not fair it, to be honest with you. It's really not. This is not a team that's that is uh, could be built to succeed around him. If you get injuries at offensive line and wide receiver, are you going to blame everything on Jalen Hurts? Uh, so yeah. the fact that he kind of gets this quote-unquote year to me means that he's got to be either really, really good despite no matter what happens around him or they're going to use those first-round picks to, to bring in somebody either in the draft or, or via, via trade. So I would actually handicap it more that he's not the quarterback in 2022 uh, than he is. But obviously, if he plays great and or even really, really good, and you think there's a foundation to build on, that'll that'll help his case. Yeah, and that's you you put it out brilliantly, Jeff. That's the reason it's not 50-50. I would put it at 25%. It's not fair. I, yeah, I say all the time, time, what can Jalen Hurts do to win this job? And then you say, if Deshaun Watson is available, if you know, Aaron Rodgers is out there, which is unlikely, but Russell Wilson, whomever. And then you talk about the draft and everybody who does mock drafts. We just had Rick Saratella on before you came on. They all had the Eagles taking a quarterback. Nobody believes in Jalen Hurts. How fair can this be? It's not fair. <laughs> it isn't. It's strange. The whole scenario surrounding it is strange. I mean, he was a second round pick because the Eagles made him a second round pick. Yeah. The NFL felt that he was a three or early four type of guy. And if you just, even if you look at the history of second round picks in the NFL over the last 10 years, there are some successful ones. You know, uh, Carr out in Oakland was a second round pick. Uh, Colin Kaepernick was a second round pick. But then I can throw like the Geno Smiths. I can throw the Drew Locks at you. I can throw the uh, Deshaun Kaisers. I mean, honestly, yeah. there's, there's more failures as second round pick quarterbacks than there are really good success stories that has nothing to do with Jalen it doesn't mean anything either way I'm just giving you what the statistical percentages say of this guy's uh, um, you know chances of being a long-term starter in the league are yeah 
Yeah, I'll throw Drew Brees in there too as a second round pick. First, I said ten years. I said last ten years, not hundred years ago. Yeah, but Drew Brees just retired, so someone has to step up and take the Drew Brees second round mantle. And I'm suggesting that it could be Jalen Hurts. Maybe I'm got to take the eagle colored glasses off. But what can I tell you? I most always a pleasure, bud. Appreciate you coming on board. Inside the Eagles.com, inside the Eagles pod. It's in the birds, buddy. Inside the birds. Just making sure. What I say? <laughs> you said inside eagles. the eagles. Inside that would be the copyright infringement. I don't want to get involved with trademark infringement. Inside, inside the, the birds, birds podcast. podcast and inside the birds.com. Thank you for yeah. correcting me. No Most problem. pleasure, buddy. We'll get you on again soon enough. Appreciate you doing it for us today. Always good, fellas. Have a great one. Thanks, Jeff Mosher here with us on. What do we call this show? Oh, Birds 365. That's right. Kind of got to get the names of the shows right if you're going to do it. All right, John McMullen, Jody McDonald coming back, putting a bow on the show for you next. Stick around. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's army strong. 
Try it on at GoArmy.com. All right, coming down the stretch here on Bird 365. At least I got the name of our show right. Uh, my apologies for Jeff Mosher inside the Birds podcast, inside the birds.com. Uh, thanks for coming on, Jeff. Uh, again, my apologies. Uh, I did notice this just, oh, shoot, what's it say? Like 52 seconds ago, right before we came back from break, according to Pro Football Talk, another website I spend way too much time on day in and day out. Uh, Aaron Rodgers has not shown at Packers mandatory mini camp today. Shock oh shocks, Johnny yeah. Mac. I Big can't shocker. believe Aaron Rodgers Big did show up. Yeah, I think anybody who thought $93,000 would uh, get Aaron Rodgers to Green Bay after, by the way, he's already given up 500000 by not showing for voluntary work. I don't think 93000 is going to impact him. So, this will continue for the next seven weeks or so if the Packers, but you know, very similar to Zach Ertz on a much larger scale. Packers are playing chicken uh, with Aaron Rodgers, and we're going to see what path he decides to go down. So many people have said, I've said, nobody holds a grudge like Aaron Rodgers. I, that, yeah, you know, Andrew Brandt, who I have a ton of respect for, thinks. Packers aren't going to trade him, thinks eventually he'll come in. He knows him better than I do, do, certainly. I can't picture this guy. He never changes his mind, Jerry. Never. Okay. He's he pretty says, stringent. And yeah. one thing one thing I will uh, make a prediction on, guaranteed write it down has to happen. If there's any chance that Aaron Rodgers goes back to Green Bay and plays this season, that $500,000 that he's already given up, because he missed voluntary work I yeah. reporting bonus. Oh, he's going to get every dime of that back. And whatever he's going to pay as far as fines go for not showing up this week. You know, real quick, these- real quick, Jody, that used to be the way. When training camp starts, you are not allowed to waive fines anymore in the new CBA. So it's a little bit different. You're right about the 500000 Even minicamp, I think, eventually you can – you can erase those fines if you come to an agreement. You can no longer erase fines at training camp. So they start piling up July 27th under the new CBA. Right. You're not allowed to, to just say, oh, we've come to an agreement. We're not going to fine you. That That's no longer permitted. That used to be the way, and right. it wasn't that big of a deal. Can't do it anymore. So that is an interesting curveball. But he can get the five hundred grand yeah, back yeah, workout, that, yeah. and he can get the ninety-seven thousand yeah. here because again, it's a mandatory mini camp. You're right. Once camp o- opens and he's staying out, that's money he's going to lose. He's never going to get back. But uh, what he has lost so far, and what he will lose over the next three days, oh, that's the start of the conversation. All that money goes back to Aaron Rodgers. Before you talk about anything else, and making up and getting relationships fixed and where we go from here. First things first, give me back all my money. And if that answer isn't yes, sir, well, then the conversations go absolutely nowhere because you're right. Aaron Rodgers is a guy who can dig in his heels with the best of them. 
Well, yeah. we dig, we dug in our heels for two hours. I think we did a pretty good job, except for me misidentifying Jeff Mosher's uh, podcast. Other than that, I thought it was a damn good show. What do you think, McMullen? Damn good. I'm going to say it again. Inside the Birds, insidethebirds.com to make it up to Jeff. Damn thank good you, show, though, Jeff. Thank you for covering for your partner's mistakes, buddy. I do appreciate that greatly. We will do it again tomorrow. We'll be right back here in 22 hours with more. What's the name of this show, John? What's birds, our show? 365. Birds, birds, birds. Too birds, many birds. birds. We'll see you tomorrow, buddy. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.